Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Equals from a beautiful day here in Washington, D.C. It is. Welcome, Nabil. Welcome to Washington. Finally, finally, we get to do an episode together. Really excited to be I've, I've been waiting for this moment. Should we, should we get to it? Let's. I'm not sure that we really need to introduce our next guest, but let's do it anyway. Yeah, we probably should. Right. So we really have the great honor of having Congresswoman Ilhan Omar join the podcast today. Now, her story is amazing, right? So she grew up in Somalia. She fled a civil war to Kenya, lived in a refugee camp, and then came to America, actually, as a refugee. And it's here in America that she built her life, and she, and she rose through the political system to become, right, one of the best-known politicians in America today. And for good reason. I mean, she's really shaking things up here as a congresswoman representing Minnesota, and she's become infamously known as a member of the so-called squad, along with Ocasio- I would love to be part of the squad. Maybe they'll let you join one day. One day. <laughs> but... But listen, Nadia, look, I'm, I'm trying to be cool, composed, got my calm face on, but really I'm so super hyped to have <laughs> Ilhan on, on the podcast. I know you are. You want to tell us why? Yeah, look, right. So, so she, I mean, her, her story, the way that she goes about her work, it really speaks to me and I guess people like us in a very personal yeah. way, right? So, so look, my family, I'm the son of, I'm the son of immigrants who, who left Pakistan, who came to the West, came to the UK. I'm, you know, I'm a Muslim. I'm brown. I am brown too. Are you more of more of an olive? But here we go again. But look, look, um, you know, I became an activist, and you know, I wanted to stand up, speak truth to power. But when it came to big politics, I was told, no, Nabil, this isn't for you. Right, and if you make it to big time politics, keep your head down. Be cautious in how you speak, fit into the mainstream, be part of the. But don't system. shape it. But don't shape it. Right, that's what we're told. Right. And, and Ilhan really, really shows a different way. Right, she really does. Let's take a listen. So thank you so much for joining us on Equals. Equals is our Oxfam podcast where we focus on economic inequality. Mm-hmm. And like we were just saying, it's exciting to be here with you, knowing that you are a proud American, born in our region, our turbulent region of Eastern Horn of Africa, yeah. fled our turbulent region through Kenya, and became a migrant here, mm-hmm. lived a life of a migrant, and now you lead your people, you lead in, Amer- in the American House of Representatives. That's, some, that's an inspiring story. In a way, I connect with it strongly because I too fled my country, Uganda, through Kenya <laughs> and ended up in England. Oh, yeah. That's where I got my university education. And so I lived as a refugee too, mm-hmm. but um, I returned back to my country. I want to ask you to start with this question. Can I call you my sister yes. or my daughter? I won't, I won't patronize you. I'll call you my sister because you're a black woman. Like I first heard you speaking strongly against economic inequality, extreme inequality. I heard you challenging, speaking like many, many people around the world who feel that the economy isn't working for them. They are stuck wherever they are. They work hard, their lives don't get better, they don't see a better future for their children, but they see a few at the top doing very well and running away with everything. It's a feeling across 
the world. I have just picked out something you said. You said, America does not suffer from scarcity. America suffers from greed. Yes. I like that line. Yeah. Tell me from that background, from what is it that drives you to speak so forcefully against inequality? Yeah. I mean, when I when I was younger, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd grown up with, uh, in, in a life of abundance. Um, in, in my family, we had everything. And I, I remember we lived right um, next to a market. And we would see, you know, people who um, would stop by and my grandfather and great-grandmother would share our food with them. And I, I think at that young age, I didn't fully understand um, why they needed to eat with us. Uh, and when the war happened, we became one of those people who were now struggling to, to find a meal. War is an equalizer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that the economic injustices that exist don't exist because there isn't food available. They exist because there are political decisions that are made um, to starve some and to feed some. And, you know, doing my life in the refugee camp, there was an America that um, we often heard about, an America that was classless, an America that didn't struggle racially, uh, an America where people had equal access to everything. Opportunity. <laughs> equal access to opportunity. And then you, you arrive in this country, as I did at the age of 12, and you see homeless people on the side of the streets, you are in a middle school and you see there are some kids who um, are, are able to go home to a, a family that, that gives them um, everything and, and some go to a family that struggles with everything. Uh, and you realize that even in America, there are economic injustices. And these economic injustices exist because there are structural barriers to economic equality. And what we talk about is not whether you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, it's about making sure that there are bootstraps available to mm -hmm. everyone so that they can pull themselves up on those bootstraps. Um, there was a, a senator in, in Minnesota, uh, Al Franken, who used to, um, Al Franken Franken, um, and, uh, and he used to say, uh, we have to make sure uh, that those bootstraps are, are accessible to people. And, and our work uh, in um, trying to get rid of economic injustice is making sure that we are creating policies that are, cre that are making those bootstraps available so that people have that. And we do that through you know, the policies that we're proposing. Mm -hmm. And one of the policies that I champion um, is to cancel out student debt. Um, you know, education, as you know, um, is, an equalizer. is an equalizer. Um, and education is not uh, something that only benefits the individual. Um, education is something that benefits a whole society, mm -hmm. a whole nation. That's why many countries invest mm -hmm. uh, in not only providing education through K through 12, but also making college free. Uh, because they realize that an educated po population 
um, is a population that is going to be economically thriving. It's going to create a society that is uh, better off. And so we want to create um, uh, an economy that is working for everyone by making sure that everybody can participate in it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. We work on it. We push very hard for publicly provided education right. because it's the greatest level. The evidence uh, is there. Right. Equal access to health, to education, to social protection. Right. That's the way yeah. to make society fairer. Right. And it's amazing that in many countries this reasoning has been reversed. Right. It is more about there's not enough money. Right. Get the private sector to sell health and to sell education yeah. to our children. Right. We, we fight against right. that. And I mean, and then, you know, an, another huge problem here in the United States is childhood mm. hunger, which you can't mm. imagine when you're living outside of the United States, yeah. right? That there is childhood hunger in the United States. Yeah. Um, and so an, another policy proposal that we've just... Um, proposed is to make sure that there are universal free school meals mm. Um, mm. because there is an economic burden, financial burden that many families have um, because they're unable to provide a meal uh, to their children while they're in that school. Uh, and to me, it doesn't make any sense because I know that when your belly is not fed, mm. your brain cannot be fed. Uh, and in the United States, to have kids struggling with that. Um, just sounds uh, obnoxious. It's, it's wrong. Yeah. It's, yeah. Wrong. it's very wrong. There's enough wealth in the world yes. to feed Particularly in this country. And in the richest yes, country in, in the, the richest world. country in, in the world. world. Yeah. It's true. We, we, we see increasingly in many, many countries that governments are rolling back right. services to poor people, to ordinary people. Handing, handing it to the private yeah. sector, and this only widens right. inequalities right. and gaps between rich and poor. Let's talk about workers too. Right. You see, we work, Oxfam actually works, supports some people in your state mm -hmm. of Minnesota. These are workers in the poultry industry. Right. Many of them are actually Somali migrants. Uh -huh. We support them to stand up for their rights. Right. They, they work under, under appalling conditions right. of work. Right. I often talk about this, I use this example and many others right. from other parts yeah. of the world to show how rigged the economy is right. and how much the few at the top are taking out of the lives of ordinary people, maybe yeah. cheating them. Right. I talk about a woman called Dolores mm -hmm. in Minnesota uh -huh. who goes to work, she and her colleagues go to work Dress, they have to wear diapers to work mm. because they are not allowed toilet breaks. Mm. They stand for hours and hours. Mm. They, they cut up these chickens and their hands. Mm -hmm. They suffer stress, injury mm -hmm. of their hands. Mm -hmm. They can't hold their babies. Mm -hmm. I talk about this mm -hmm. to billionaires mm -hmm. in Davos every yeah. year. They look shocked that yeah. this is happening in the United States right. of America. Yeah. Why there's so much wealth and right. so many billionaires, yeah. but workers is it, it is it is appalling. Mm -hmm. I was uh, in Honduras mm -hmm. in uh, November of 2017, mm -hmm. and um, and we met with workers um, who are working in um, 
manufacturing mm. for manufacturing corporations mm -hmm. that are run by Canada and the United States. Mm -hmm. And some of the working conditions we heard mm. were so appalling. Yeah. There were people who talked to us about having miscarriages because they um, had to stand mm -hmm. uh, for so long. Yeah. Um, they couldn't get breaks. And then I came back and I started talking about my experience. I was a newly elected um, state representative at the time. And then my constituents mm -hmm. um, and residents of our state started calling mm -hmm. my office and saying, what do you mean this is happening in Honduras? Right this is happening in your mm -hmm. own backyard. Um, and so with uh, the uh, Awud um, uh, organizers with Amazon, mm -hmm. we have been um, having lots of conversations about working conditions um, because people are milking workers for yeah. every second. Absolutely. Um, they are not paying fair wages. Mm -hmm. um, they're not paying livable wages. Mm -hmm. um, they're not treated as humans. There mm -hmm. is no dignified uh, work. Uh, and so when y you, know, you see us in the streets mm -hmm. um, marching with workers, mm -hmm. people will often say, you know, why, why are you talking about this in the United States? How can that be? But, um, yes. but it is. That, yeah. is. that is the reality. We have ideals in this country mm. about justice, about equality, mm -hmm. about liberation. Um, but the reality is, is very different. It's very different. Uh, and that's why we push every single day to, to make sure that we are still continuing the fight mm -hmm. for um, uh, labor standards mm -hmm. that lives up to our country's and the right, ideals. The right to collective bargaining. The right to collective voice. bargaining. I'm a former union member, mm -hmm. um, so I, I understand mm -hmm. uh, the power mm -hmm. um, that we collectively can have mm -hmm. when, when we put our voices together. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've, I've had multiple jobs. I mean, I, I, I've... I've worked in assembly lines, mm -hmm. I've done call centers. I did that too. I have um, worked as a security guard, even if you could believe that. You? Yes. Your size? My size. <laughs> um, and, and I know uh, the, the challenges and the struggles that everyday working class people face. Um, and so we try to be the voice of the people because we not only have fluency mm -hmm. on the day-to-day -day struggles, but we also know what it looks like when you yeah. are given an opportunity and yeah. how much success you can have in this country of ours. Absolutely. We argue that you can have a more human economy, but you all, you need to have business models that reward right. all the people who right. work, starting right. with the workers. Right. It can't be a business model that only honors and rewards shareholders, right. capital. Right. So we, we, we also fight. We fight for workers' rights and uh, admire your work too to defend workers. Let me now take us to... I want to hear more about your experience because of intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Because I hear your voice speaking as a climate activist, mm -hmm. I hear you defending the rights of migrants. I hear you defending women's rights. You're a feminist. You say that on your web, on your Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. And you're able to carry different struggles and lead on them and work across it. I see that as something that many young people are comfortable with. Right. 
is very typical of the leadership of young people. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me how you feel in your skin <laughs> with so many different identities and engaged in different struggles. Yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I was born in the skin. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, we don't, we don't get to choose how we are born, mm. uh, but we do get to choose how we show up. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I, I have the, the fortune and the misfortune um, of having uh, multiple minority identities exist within me. Uh, and so I understand the challenge it is to exist in the world as a woman, as a woman of color, as an immigrant, as a refugee, as a Muslim. As a Muslim. Um, and I, it's not, you know, something that I want to glance over. Um, you know, there are people who would look at everything that makes them different and say, I don't want anybody to notice. But the reality is you are who you are uh, and you can celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can defend it uh, and you can make sure that others feel comfortable in their own skin and are boldly fighting for their right to a dignified life. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want for myself uh, and for everybody who shares every single marginalized mm-hmm. identity as I do, mm-hmm. is to recognize that we were all carried by somebody for nine months. We were all birthed the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, we all come into this world screaming, uh, and, um, and we all deserve the same rights, the same joy, the same happiness, uh, and the same respect. Um, and so I am going to demand um, that, uh, that that is the treatment we give to our fellow human beings. But let me explore something here. Mm-hmm. There seems to be something dangerous, something fearful about being on the intersection of many axes of disadvantage. Mm-hmm. The fact that you are a woman, you're black, you're a migrant, was a refugee, is a Muslim, yeah. that all those axes, and their axes of right. disadvantage, right. combining you, yeah. seem to make you a powerful symbol of inequality in the world. And when you speak, you seem to be a powerful voice of all those combinations of disadvantage. And that seems to scare some people. Yeah. What do you think? Because they're, I think they're scared because I see no disadvantage. All I see is strength. You know, I, I represent people who have been fighting their entire life for their right to fully exist as they are. Every identity of mine um, represents uh, a generation of people who wanted to fully exist as they are. Uh, and to me, I bring every single one with me in every single room I'm in and I am you can strong <laughs> and I am strong because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Oprah who once said, you know, she wasn't afraid when she was in boardrooms because she was the only woman and the only, you know, person of color mm-hmm. um, because she wasn't walking into that room by herself. Mm-hmm. She was walking into that room with the thousands of mm-hmm. women and people of color who were never allowed to be in that room. Um, and so she had this spirit of, right, like yeah. multiple people. Um, and that's the spirit I walk in these holes and. Um, that's the spirit I speak through, yeah. um, and that is, I feel like, why my voice 
um, feels so powerful and threatening to a lot of people. Yeah. Power to you, mm-hmm. power to you, Ilhan. We, we, we see you not just as a symbol, but as a leader for all those groups of people that are on the margins, that, are, that lack voice. My last point mm-hmm. is um, there are many battles. We fight for workers' rights, we fight for a right to a good quality education, to health, to housing. We fight for against discrimination. And there are many forces, powerful forces, that are pushing, pushing hard against equality. Where do you find hope? Mm. I find hope in, in people like you. Oh, um, I'm so I, I, I truly do. I find hope in knowing that there are people that are um, fighting in spaces that are less safe than the one I fight in. Um, I'm fortunate to live in the United States uh, where um, my rights are protected much more than other people's rights are in many other countries. Um, but they push forth. I know you get to meet them on a daily basis. You get to see the human rights defenders, the the freedom fighters, the indigenous folks who um, risk their lives every Mm -hmm. single day to protect their own land Mm -hmm. and the right to eat and live um, in their own land. Uh, And you get to meet little kids who still have a smile on their faces, even though they um, have been starving for days and in the brick of of death. Mm. Um, and, And I know... Uh, that um, I am uh, fortunate enough to carry their voice, mm-hmm. um, speak uh, on, on behalf of them, mm-hmm. uh, and make sure that there is going to be a world that is a little more peaceful, a little more just, mm-hmm. um, and a little bit more equal, mm-hmm. because I get to have uh, a podium to speak on. I said one, that was the last question, but yeah. I have one last one. <laughs> The real last one is okay. this one. Ilan, you are a young woman. Mm-hmm. I am an older woman. <laughs> but we share that woman. And uh, I want you to tell me, how do you manage to meet the expectations that are there mm-hmm. for you as a woman in politics, a mother among some children, a spouse to someone, a woman in a community, a minority mm-hmm. in this con- in this country, a, a Somali community or a part. How do you manage to balance all those and still be a happy woman with a smile on your face? <laughs> How do you do it? I mean, there's an expectation I think the world uh, can can have for you and place on you, mm-hmm. and then there's the expectations you have of yourself. Uh, and I wake up every single day knowing that I have exceeded the expectations I'd had for myself. Um, I have three wonderful children who are happy and healthy, mm-hmm. who know who they are and, mm-hmm. and know how to exist in this turbulent world. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a father who uh, told me the day that I get elected that he um, could die a happy man. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, um, I know that it is challenging for, for everyone else in my family um, to, to live <laughs> In, in a space where um, their their sister, their their wife, their daughter is scrutinized every single day, mm-hmm. um, but they know that uh, that I know who I am. I know my purpose in life, 
um, and I am going to um, be dignified and honorable regardless of uh, what the world throws at me mm. and will never forget why I am here and the kind of world I'm fighting for. Good, yeah. good, good, good. Power Thank to you, you Ilhan. Okay. And all the best in what you do. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for being you make here. Make us proud. Visiting us. Thank you. smiling i am you know living in in the u.s you see congresswoman omar on television and the media and especially in social media every day and when you strip that down and you listen to this interview i mean she is eloquent she's so it sounded so real i mean this is a politician who really knows inequality right i found it nadia really profound when she spoke about economic injustice and she said that you know the economic injustice we see is because political decisions are made to starve some and to feed some. And what you see from Congresswoman Omar, but many other politicians like her, is such a powerful analysis of what the problem is, but also this big push for bold, ambitious solutions to fight inequality and to build a more dignified economic model. And that could be you know, universal health care. It could be ensuring that every kid is in a quality school good school as they as they deserve to be or that you know we cancel those those trillions of student debt you know i'm feeling i'm feeling optimistic feel optimistic i like that but at the same time let me temper your optimism do you have to i have to because you know as well as i that at the same time as we have these these politicians representing what you call bold ideas and actually are common sense ideas but they are bold in today's world Mm. and they're bold in today's world because we're seeing at the same time this rise of right-wing, populist, nationalist politicians all over the world, you know, in this country, but also from Latin America to Europe. And so, yes, definitely temper that optimism. I mean, I can't help but think, Nadia, that there's this, there is this big bit battle of ideas, right? And on, on one hand, you have got this kind of exciting, progressive push um, to really just recast the whole way the economy works. But on the other... I mean, I would call it the status quo, but it's, it's worse than that, isn't it? It's a trip to darkness, to more darkness. It is, it is. And on the one side that you're talking about here, you have these politicians who are representing, you know, the powerful, the elite, the wealthy, the corporations. But really, the other hand, and this is what gives me hope, is that these other ideas, these other politicians are representing and speaking to youth, to people of color, to immigrants, to religious and ethnic minorities. To, and it's, more, it's the factory workers, it's the farmers, it's the care workers, the nurses and the teachers. And the, it feels an awful lot like the 99%. It is. I mean, it's the 99% that's been disempowered, right, by mainstream yeah. politics. And that's that's what this interview for me was all about. I guess I guess we could talk all day, but I guess we probably shouldn't. We should probably bring it to a close there. And hey, everyone, a huge thanks for joining us today on Equals. And I hope that we can let you know that Equals is all about these exciting stories about fighting inequality. It's about people like Congresswoman Omar, but also many, many others. And We hope you listen into those episodes. We hope you subscribe to the podcast. And give us feedback because we're quite new here. So please do give us feedback at equals at oxfam.org. Oxfam is spelled O-X-F-A-M dot O-R-G. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.